So if you raced yesterday, go away and go skiing. On a warm winter day that could give you a sunburn, the Masters Cross Country Ski Team at the Craftsbury Outdoor Center groups up with their coach Ollie, while other skiers glide by in t-shirts and shorts. John, do you have a favorite type of workout? I think the short ones, the last uh, workout we had with Ollie was right here in the stadium. There's two hills and uh, we tried to get up these hills in 30 seconds. And 30 seconds is about my limit on full out. Our protagonist this episode, John Broadhead, we'll call him Nordic John, he knows the bumps and contours of the Crossbury Trails may be better than anyone. He was the one who mapped and planned and negotiated in the late 70s to groom the way for this intricate system. There's now 105 kilometers of trails, and at this time of year, they welcome John almost daily. If you're up for it, you should do some short intervals like tomorrow or Tuesday. Nordic John's getting ready for his next big feat the Masters World Cup in Austria. His wife, Gina, will be right there with him. Well, I just need to get him to the start line because then when the gun goes off, he, he just knows what to do because he's been doing it for so long. Um, you know, he'll worry about his balance, but then he'll ski down some steep slope, carving telly turns on his cross-country skis without missing a beat. And that is no small feat, because 10 years ago, John was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. I think the first thing was my handwriting got unreadable and smaller, which is a key um, symptom. symptom of uh, Parkinson's. Now, as you can see, I have a lot of extraneous movement in my legs and my arms. Um, and that's very symptomatic. But despite those tremors, when he clips into his two-inch wide Nordic skis and sets out down the trail, John is smooth and graceful, a veteran skier in his element. This is My Body Odyssey, a podcast about the rewards and challenges of cross-country skiing with Parkinson's this episode. I'm Rob Pease. And I'm Brittany Thomas. Today we're sharing a story of perseverance, family, and muscle memory. We first met our protagonist, Nordic John, at the Craftsbury Ski Marathon last winter when he just completed an 18-kilometer classic cross-country ski race and in classic John style. Yeah, we came to the first hill. I pushed it a little hard and went up it as fast as I could. But I paid for it. When I got to the top, I had to stop. John does not hold back. He has a racer's intensity even after a long day. And a love for this winter, this landscape, these movements that have shaped his life for decades. 40 years, I, I skied to work and skied home. Very nice lifestyle. John has skied through lots of life's transitions, through his Parkinson's diagnosis and transition to retirement. He still seeks out moments to get his heart pumping, sometimes up to 180 beats per minute. 
Strenuous aerobic exercise is one of doctors' top recommendations for subduing the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. You know, exercise is one of the best things we can do and recommend to our patients, frankly. Dr. Jerry Vitek is head of the neurology department at the University of Minnesota Medical School. It does seem to need to be vigorous, though. I mean, it does have to be intense. Well, I haven't had any medical people tell me that I shouldn't go as hard as possible. That powerful combination of aerobic capacity and balance and determination, that propels John forward. All the way to the Masters World Cup in Austria. John's age group, 75 to 79, that's expected to be among the largest and most competitive. John was super fast back in the day. Ollie Burris coaches the Masters team that John trains with. Ollie knows there's several chapters of John's ski career that he's only heard stories of. John first inherited a love for skiing from his parents. Interestingly, my parents were, when I was eight years old, they left me with some friends and went to Europe to ski. And that, I have to believe, was inspirational to me. That was in the 1950s, and John followed in their tracks. He told me about one of his favorite skis to date. Sweden. From Russia to Sweden. <laughs> that sounds far. Is it far? That sounds really far. Yeah, well, we fortunately had people telling us where to go and setting a track as we went along. It's an annual event. Wow. In Did Sweden. you do that together? No, okay. I didn't. wasn't able to go, but he's got the hat on um, oh. from the race, from the event. It's not a race. Each community gets very involved with hosting the skiers each night. Gina didn't make that particular ski trip, but it's almost as if she was there. She's such an avid skier herself. She's been at this sport since the 1960s. I just want to say something about women my age in skiing. Because when I was in high school, I was an alpine skier, and the ski coach told me that women couldn't do cross-country skiing because it was too exhausting. Gina wears a spandex cap and sunglasses to help with the glare. She watches John as he speaks and skis, and in her conversations around the lodge, John comes up often. She's kept her sights set on how they can manage Parkinson's together. There was some evidence that um, not just, as the doctor said, going out for a walk, but finding a hill and going up it 10 times as hard as you can would, would bear some benefit. And we thought, well, that's okay, because that's what John's been doing for, <laughs> for decades. <laughs> Gina notices when he's stuck on a word. Her compliments and jokes lift his spirits. I feel I'll be lucky if I actually finish the races. You're so modest. What have you been doing for training? Oh, nothing specific. John and Gina have spent a lifetime looking out for each other, suiting up to ski, sometimes like stunt doubles. During the Craftsbury Marathon, they mistakenly swapped numbers. 
<laughs> something like that. <laughs> but we mis mixed up each other's bibs. I put his on and he put mine on. Oh. For, for the race today? Yeah. Wow. The race organizer said, John, you did so well. <laughs> and then I, I, you lost. <laughs> John's diagnosis has added a lot of challenges to their normal routine. But both John and Gina are well-trained in a sport which they love and is also one of the best therapies for Parkinson's disease. Well, I've tried to not let it affect my lifestyle. I still ski and my cognition is a little bit affected. Gina explained to me that the medications prescribed to treat Parkinson's address the symptoms, but they don't stop the disease from progressing. The root cause of Parkinson's is impaired or dead nerve cells in the base of the brain, which lessen the amount of dopamine and norepinephrine that serve as important messengers in the body's nervous system. Dopamine is important in a part of the brain called the basal ganglia. Again, Dr. Jerry Vitek, a renowned expert on Parkinson's from the University of Minnesota. And you have two sets of basal ganglia deep in the brain, one on each side. But when you lose dopamine, the information processing that occurs in the basal ganglia that allows you to make normal movements is disrupted. Day to day, Parkinson's can cause disruption to even the most common movements like walking, writing, and eating. Swallowing is another one. I have to be careful what I eat and how I eat it. One symptom that John doesn't talk about is what doctors call postural instability, or in other words, poor balance. On the contrary, John's balance is remarkable. You could say he's a more than technically proficient skier. And this means that when he's clipped into his skis, he spends most of his time on one foot, fully transferring his weight to glide on one ski while the other leg kicks back. The doctors will tell you that Parkinson's is a suite of symptoms and it's never the same for two people. It's always different. And some people are less affected by balance issues. Others are. The interesting thing is, John says sometimes balancing is tricky when he doesn't have his skis on. When doing exercises, with a group that isn't masters athletes, I can't do any of the balance exercises. Like, I can't even stand on one foot and balance. But skiing seems to be a different story. But with skiing, maybe because he has so much muscle memory, he's less affected than someone else with Parkinson's might be. There is muscle memory. There's no question that when you start to become proficient at something, you've clearly changed those connections and strengthened them, right, that are involved in that motor act. So when he's doing the skiing and he's done it so much, it's a repetitive movement that he's just gotten so ingrained into his neural network, so to speak, that those connections are well established and it takes very little for him to kick that in place. It almost becomes automatic to some degree for him. Scientists don't yet know what causes the nerve cells in the basal ganglia to die. And they're still working on understanding why exercise seems to slow down the progression of the disease. But there have been some illuminating results from animal studies. 
animal models uh, basically showed that rodents that were exercised compared to those who were not exercised, when both were exposed to a, a neurotoxin that destroys these dopamine cells, the rodents that exercised were protected to a degree. The ones that were not exercised took the full brunt of that toxin. Dr. Vitek says that the mechanisms our body has to provide protection are called neurotrophic factors. That's a family of proteins that help the brain repair itself. There is a factor that we all have in our brains, in our bodies, called growth factors. They promote cell health and growth and allow them to repair themselves. And we see that in those rodents that were exercised compared to the ones that were not there was 300% increase in those growth factors. Why is exercise protecting these animals' brains? And what type of exercise is most helpful? Dr. Vitek says that's the million-dollar question, and scientists are working hard to uncover answers. One of these studies is being led by Dr. Daniel Korkos, a professor of human movement sciences at Northwestern University. And this will be the first randomized controlled trial investigating the effects of moderate and high-intensity aerobic exercise on Parkinson's. Dr. Vitek, others in the field, and of course, many millions of Parkinson's patients worldwide are looking forward to those results. I had a baseball coach that used to take me to games when I was a little kid. Uh, he developed multiple sclerosis. And he would tell me, uh, he would say, I always like to go to my neurologist even though the neurologist has told me there's nothing I can do for you. This is many, many years ago when they didn't have great therapies for MS. He said, I just feel better going to see him. He said, I have hope. And I was probably 11 years old when he told me that. I'm now 72, but that has stuck with me. And so I tell every patient that I see that there are new therapies coming out all the time, multiple studies being done all the time, and that you need to maintain uh, strong hope because there are a lot of good things around the corner. Some of the momentum behind this emerging science comes from the Michael J. Fox Foundation, founded in 2000 by Michael J. Fox, the actor, who made his first big splash as Alex P. Keaton in the TV series Family Ties. Not anymore, Mom. I'm an adult now. I get 18 years under this belt. <laughs> Michael J. Fox has leveraged his experiences to build the leading foundation for Parkinson's research. Their mission is simple and also profound, end Parkinson's disease. And since its founding in the year 2000, the foundation has awarded over $1 billion in funding for Parkinson's research programs. Michael J. Fox says Parkinson's has been the gift that keeps on taking, a story he recounts in his 2023 documentary, Still. To deny that part of me that wants to continue to go on and do things is, is to quit. Fox is working hard to maintain the stability to walk with his personal trainers. It's a spirit of persistence on screen that's also powering what the Michael J. Fox Foundation calls a renaissance in Parkinson's therapeutic development. Back outside the Craftsbury Lodge, the Masters team gathers on the snow. Ollie's there in his racing shades, and he jokes with each skier as they pull up. They ask him what's in store for the day, but there's no real strict hierarchy around here. They're really fun because yeah. they, you know, 
I'm significant. I'm, I could be most of their children, which is, or the, they could be my parents for most of them. And uh, today they may do some hill repeats. It's the countdown to the Masters World Cup, and John and Gina are only three days away from flying to Austria. The World Masters is popular to people over 80 or 90. We've had skiers that were in their, in their high 90s participated. And that just gives me a lot of... Gives me a lot of... Uh, Hope? <laughs> I wouldn't say hope, but... <laughs> okay, I don't know what you want, want to say. I'm <laughs> sorry, I shouldn't say anything. <laughs> Inspiration, that's the that's word the I'm word. looking for. Oh, okay. Yeah, yes. totally. Nordic John is also an inspiration to many younger skiers at Craftsbury and at the Masters World Cup. That's a meeting place for skiers from all over the world. And Ollie hopes John can enjoy that experience. That's the privilege of a master's athlete, is you don't have to worry about making sacrifices to optimize for performance. You can just, performance is whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Ollie himself is no stranger to the racing circuit. He traveled in Europe with his Nordic ski team before stepping into some very big ski boots at the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. He's now the Nordic race director, which is John's former position. One thing that is also just really, really cool and unique about John is that when he let it go, he did let it go, and he let me take it over and learn on the job. And Ollie has earned John's approval. I think Ollie has done a great job of taking on some of the events that I initially did. Uh, for example, the ski marathon, he's kept that going. So while Ollie's technically John's coach, he's also John's student, and he knows to expect a lot from him. Man, I, I think the happiest place that JV has is when he's out skiing. And, um, you know, he really sort of expresses himself through his skiing and just goes out there and, and does it. Ollie's learned the ins and outs of the trail system from John, which landowners are cooperative, which ones not so much, and which surrounding towns have a right-of-way that could be groomed as a trail. Now he's carrying the torch to make sure Craftsbury stays a destination for ski racing. I don't take that responsibility lightly at all. Mm. And, and so in a way, coaching him and seeing him all the time kind of holds me accountable, reminding me that what he built here is really special and we need to protect it and try and nurture it forward. During his time as director of the Nordic program, John started a ski training program for youngsters. It was modeled on the multi-generational ski programs from Scandinavian countries where John's parents used to go when he was a kid. Every Thanksgiving, they take a trip to Silver Star, a ski resort in British Columbia, with the junior team. We would bring our kids, the juniors at the outdoor center, would go out there for a training camp Thanksgiving week and we'd bring 20 kids and a couple of coaches and rent a whole bunch of condos and cook food and <laughs> ski ski with all the, you know, they were all high school age kids, our kids, and now we just go ourselves, which is a lot, a lot different trip than what we did back in the 90s and the early 2000s. 
After his retirement, John was inducted into the Vermont Ski Hall of Fame in 2019, a point of great pride for the Crossbury Outdoor Center. Their storyline read, As the Crossbury community knows, for 38 years, Nordic at Crossbury was synonymous with John. The 2023 Masters World Cup of cross-country skiing took place in a haven for skiing, a small village called Zeefeld. John and Gina had high expectations for the trip and the races. We flew to Austria and uh, took ground transportation to Zeefeld and our hopes were to have some good skiing. That was the Olympic uh, cross-country venue when the Olympics were in Innsbruck. So Seyfeld sits in the mountains above Innsbruck. When they arrived, the scene was very different from what they had imagined, different from the Austria John's parents had shared travel stories about. There was no, no snow on the hills. You could get to snow if you took tramways up you know, another 5,000 feet. Um, but it was... Uh, it was, there was no snow on the ground in the village except for this this ribbon of dirty, wet snow for the cross-country races. John was entered into three races, a 10-kilometer, 5-kilometer, and 15-kilometer classic race, scheduled over three days. The piles of slush on treacherous downhills was very difficult because you couldn't snowplow, you couldn't slow yourself down because there was Deep ruts. The snow was the consistency of a of a uh, melt of melting melting ice cream. It was very wet. Um, it was a very discouraging scene. It was right out of you know your worst climate change nightmare. Gina wished they'd brought shorts to ski, and the temperature was consistently in the sixties. It was very sad. We brought a lot of long johns. With warm temperatures and higher water content in the snow, classic skis can be notoriously sticky. Sometimes so bad they become kind of like six-foot-long platform shoes, with gobs of snow stuck to the bottom surface of the ski. Gina and John worked with a waxing coach to help their skis glide through the slush. We paid them dearly, but it was something that... It was like sending your skis to a spa. <laughs> You'd take them to them, and then they'd be all nice and ready to go. There's only so much that waxing technique could do to change the natural order of things. There just wasn't enough snow for John's typical race routine. And in venues like in Seyfeld this year, there was very little snow to spare, so we couldn't do a lot of warm-up or testing because there just wasn't enough snow. <laughs> You like you really like to warm up, right? Yeah, it's really important for you. Even when you've raced for decades, the warm-up is important for managing pre-race nerves and coaxing your muscles into readiness. Dr. Vitek explained how this can be even more important for athletes with Parkinson's. When you get stressed, your symptoms get worse. This is true of every movement disorder. So if a patient gets really nervous or anxious, the motor signs, the slowness, the stiffness, the tremor, the gait, the walking, uh, 
postural stability, all those things get worse with anxiety. And so it's kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Um, I think I'm going to have a problem. I'm getting anxious. I do have a problem. I knew I'd have a problem. I'm, now I'm more anxious. John finished his 10K and 5K races. Almost half of the field didn't race. But by the time the day of his third race arrived, John decided not to join the other skiers at the start line. By the time we got to the third race, the uh, ruts were practically knee-deep. And uh, I was afraid I'd fall and hurt myself. But you survived. I did survive. And I think it was, I survived because I was, <laughs> it was good intentions. The elephant in the room hasn't really been told, but this lack of snow is probably due to global warming. Europe, Central and Southern Europe, have been losing their snow pack every year. The glaciers that were there are gone, are almost gone. John and Gina are not planning to attend the World Cup again this year. Instead, they'll be taking the Amtrak west to return to Silver Star. But this time, it's not with the juniors from Crasbury. It's with their own family, their son, also an avid skier, and their grandkids. I'm very proud of their love of winter and they um, and their love of skiing um, and their families. And so I feel like I'm passing it on to the next generation, but it also gives me concern because I want my grandchildren to be able to ski too. And uh, they aren't going to be able to um, if climate change occurs the way scientists say it's going to. So that's very sad to me. I asked Gina and John if their grandkids were already skiing. Gina says, not quite yet. My rule of thumb with kids is they have to be able to get up off the ground by themselves to be ready to start skiing, and they're not there yet. <laughs> they get like turtles on their boat. Maybe in a year or two, those turtles will be clipping into some mini skis. They're only two and three and a half now. In the meantime, John's thinking ahead to Silver Star, which is renowned for its long season of skiing. Anything that you would want to add to your story of Crossbury or skiing? Oh, there's a lot to say, but I want to get skiing. (laughs) And that wraps up our second season of My Body Odyssey on the rewards and challenges of active lifestyle. If you've enjoyed the season's episodes, gotten some benefit from them, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to others. Our sincere thanks to John and Gina for sharing their odyssey of Nordic skiing in a course of Parkinson's. And thanks to Dr. Vitek for his insights on this very difficult condition. Special thanks also to Ollie and the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. There's a link in our show notes to Craftsbury and to other Nordic ski resorts offering lessons, rentals, and groom trails for those who may want to try cross-country this winter. Get out there soon. Seasons are getting so much shorter. We'll be back, hopefully, for season three in the summer of 2024. 
if we can line up a sponsor or two. Till then, best wishes from the whole team here for a happy, healthy, and active new year. My Body Odyssey is a Fluent Knowledge production. Original music by Ryan Adair Rooney.